Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Once again, we'll be reading verses 1 through 4 today. Actually, actually 1 through 5, I apologize. And before we read the word, let us pray that the Lord would bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Lord God, we again come before you asking, as Brother Matt did, that you would open our hearts that you would loosen the soil of our hearts so that your word would fall on good soil. And that it, Lord, would germinate and that it would take root and that it would grow full and that it would bear fruit in our lives, the, the fruit that you would have it bear, Lord. Some 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. I pray, Lord God, that your word would be the instrument you use today to change us and shape us more into the image of Christ. And I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to draw our hearts together in fellowship with one another, but you also would draw us closer to you. And I pray, Lord God, as we read this word and we study it, Lord, that the truths that we, we come to understand, Lord, would not just simply be things that we hear and think to ourselves, what a great sermon, and then walk out of here forgetting them, Lord, that we would remember these truths and lean upon them and trust them, Lord, as we live for your glory. So we pray, Lord God, be glorified in all that we say and do today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And the word of the sovereign Lord reads, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. The late Jerry Bridges once wrote, God's grace is not given to make us feel better, but to glorify him. Good feelings may come or they may not, but that is not the issue. The issue is whether or not we honor God by the way we respond to our circumstances. So while you have your Bibles out, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 in the very beginning of your Bible. Then I want to turn your attention to verse number 22. And it reads, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove him, drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This, as we know, is when all things fell apart as mankind and all of creation, as a result, descended into corruption and became separated from God. The life-giving relationship that man had with God, the, the, the life-giving relationship he was created to live in with God was severed. Now, with that being said, then turn to the end of your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. Excuse me, 21, Revelation 21. And beginning 
In the first verse, the Apostle John writes this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be crushed, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, "Behold, I am making all things new." Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That is the pattern of the biblical narrative. That is the pattern of God's redemptive plan. When you study the Bible, that's the pattern you will see again and again. It begins with creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created mankind to be in a relationship with him. That's what it was intended to be. That's exactly how God created it. But then the narrative continues with the fall where sin enters the world and man and God become separated. Then there's redemption, which was promised in Genesis with the the promise of the seed of the woman's offspring. But it's the plan of redemption, the plan that was conceived of in eternity past by the Father, which was purchased and secured for us by Christ the Son and then is applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where a man, where a way was made for man and God to be reconciled. That is redemption. And then there's finally consummation. This is the point that we all look forward to. If you're a Christian and you understand anything at all about, about uh, salvation, you understand this is the point that all of us, the whole world, stands on tiptoes longing for. When Christ will return and he makes all things right and his redemptive work is finally complete, that history finally fulfills its purpose and creation and mankind are made completely whole and fully reunited forever as it was intended to be. So creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. That's the pattern of the Bible. And that's what we're going to see actually in the text today in Romans chapter 5. Paul in explaining the blessings of the gospel in Romans in verses 1 and 2 will unpack for us the past, present, and future fruit of our justification. He's going to help us to see the past, present, and future implications of our salvation. And in so doing, we will see these features again. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Which, by the way, is the entire scope of the gospel. So turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And before we jump in and actually look at the text, let's take a moment and just think about where we are. Because it's important we continue to, to think in context here. Paul, as you know, wrote this letter to the Romans for at least three reasons. He wrote this letter, first of all, because he wanted to build a relationship with the church in Rome to create a base of operation because he wanted to go further west into Europe on mission for Christ. A pastor buddy of mine actually said that this is funny, that this letter actually, in some respects, is a missionary's candidate letter to a church saying, hey, will you support me? You know what I mean? We get those kind of letters all the time. Secondly, Paul wrote this letter to resolve the tension between the Jews and the Gentiles in the Roman church because of political developments. There had been some strains in their relationships. There was already in the past enmity between Jews and Gentiles just because of big cultural reasons. But there were some political things that happened in the church that made that tension very palpable. And so Paul writes to remind them that we are united in Christ. And then third, but the most important reason for us, Paul writes this letter to completely explain what the gospel is so that the Roman church had a clear 
understanding of what the gospel is. And because of that, Romans is the most complete exposition um, of the gospel from creation, fall, redemption to consummation. Paul touches on all those motifs again and again. And as we have mentioned before, Paul begins his exposition by declaring, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for those who believe to the Jew first and also the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, which reminds us that Paul opens up with the major foundation of the gospel that we are justified by faith. That's the opening line to his gospel. And it's one that we will be reminded of throughout. And then in Romans chapter one, verse 18, all the way to the end of chapter four, four Paul's going to unpack in great detail what the gospel actually is. That it's the bad news of the human condition that we, all of us, every human being are sinners under the wrath of God. But then it's also the good news that, that God has made a way for us to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In fact, in chapters 3 and 4, Paul continually hammers home the same point, that justification is a gracious gift of God that is received by mankind through faith apart from anything we could do for God. And then Paul, and then in chapter beginning in chapter 5, Paul transitions from explaining what the gospel is to explaining the blessings the gospel brings to those who have faith in Christ. This is where we find ourselves today. At the beginning of Paul explaining to the Roman church all of the myriad wondrous blessings that God will bestow on those who have faith in Christ. And in this section, it actually goes all the way to the end of chapter 8. There are so many blessings that God pours out on those who, who believe the gospel. And so that is where we're actually going to linger for the next few weeks and months because there is really a whole lot for us to understand. We spend a lot of time walking through what the gospel is. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about the blessings of the gospel because we need to know these things. We need to remember these things. And so it's worthwhile for us to take time to really study out the goodness of God in the gospel. And so today we're going to actually get through verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. And in this text, we're going to explore together the past the present and the future fruits of our justification we're going to talk about what the gospel means for us in the past what it means for us presently today and then what it will mean for us in the future so again let's look at verse one of chapter five paul writes these words Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the text we spent a lot of time on last week, unpacking what it means for us to have peace with God. And what we see is that the overarching scheme, in the overarching scheme of redemption history, this is where we find past forgiveness. Peace with God is where we find past forgiveness. Remember, we were created in a relationship to be in a relationship with God. We were created to live forever. We forget this sometimes. We were created to live forever in a perfect state of righteousness in a creation that was perfect. We were created to live in a relationship that was harmonious with the will of God. That's the creation part of this narrative. But then Adam, not being satisfied, was simply being in relationship with God as a created being. He wanted more. He wanted to be like God. And as a result, he fell into sin. And the curse of death and decay entered into all of creation. And it affected everything and everyone. And we say those words, but I don't think that we fully understand what that means. This sin, this decay, not only affected humanity, it affected all of creation, it affected the earth, it affected the solar system, it affected every part of the conceivable universe, it affected even molecules and atoms all the way down to the very tiniest particles that the universe is conceived of. That's why we know that the universe is dying. Now, the way the time is supposed to go, it's, it's going to be a long time from now. 
But the point being is it's affected everything. And so there's not any part of creation that's not affected by our sin. So if the entire universe is affected by that, we also need to understand that means all of you. That means your heart and your mind and your ability to reason and your emotions are affected by this sin and decay. And as a result, this relationship with God then was severed and changed. Mankind went from being in a covenant with God under grace to being in a covenant under God with God under his wrath. God and man became enemies and the intimacy that man had enjoyed with God was lost. This, by the way, was what's symbolized by the real separation that occurred when Adam was cast out of the garden. That's why we read that text this morning. God's favorable presence with mankind was removed from him. And mankind went from being in fellowship, in close relationship with God, to being an enemy of God, unable to even approach God or be near him. He was literally alienated from God himself. And, and this truth about the division between God and man has been rehearsed again and again as the nation of Israel built the tabernacle at the command of God and then finally the temple. See, the temple architecture reveals this central motif in truth that there is a barrier, there is a division between God and man. The holy place and the temple represents the place that mankind is allowed to be, the earth. This is where mankind is allowed to dwell. The most holy place represents the garden where man began in relationship with God, the very presence of God, the presence man enjoyed until the fall. And the veil, the curtain that separates these two spaces in the temple, right, had on them embroidered cherubim, that symbolize this impassable barrier, this broken relationship. Mankind in his sinful state was completely alienated from God. He could not be near him in any way whatsoever, neither physically nor spiritually. The only exception was the Day of Atonement. One day after a complicated purification ritual, a priest was allowed to come into the presence of God and sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat of God to make atonement for the sins of his people. Which, by the way, did not remove the barrier between God and man. In fact, it only temporarily assuaged God's wrath against him for the year. That is the fall. But then, as Paul said, the good news is the, uh, of the gospel is those who are justified by faith in Christ have peace with God. If we come to redemption, the cherubim is gone. The veil has been torn. God and man are at peace with one another. And as we talked about what that means last week, peace with God means an end to hostility. It also means that God and man are reconciled in relationship. And that mankind is made whole because of that relationship. And he finds himself then in harmony with God that he was in a relationship that he was created to be in. In effect, mankind has been restored in a relationship with God because our past sins have been forgiven on the basis of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus as we're reminded in the hymn. And so we have real Objective peace with God. That's where we were last week. But then Paul moves from being at peace with God to standing in grace. Which, as we will see, is our present privilege as believers in Christ. Standing in grace is our present privilege as believers in Christ. Paul says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through Christ, we have obtained access by faith into some, some kind of grace in which we stand in or stand on. Now, this actual text, as I've read it multiple times in my, my Christian life, is a bit vague. You can kind of get a sense of where it's going, but, it, but, the, but the English translations don't seem to really put all the puzzle pieces together. And the reason why the English translation doesn't do it is because there's a lot going on here in the original language and in the grammar. Right? There's actually a world of theology in this part of verse 2. There is a lot for us to actually think about. 
The first thing I want you to, to notice here is the phrases, the two phrases, through him and by faith. You'll see that in, in this part of the verse, through him and by faith. These are themes that are repeated throughout the Gospels. They're certainly repeated over and over again in the book of Romans, and they're repeated back to back consecutively in verses 1 and 2. In fact, I want you to look with me at verse 1. It says, therefore, we have been justified by faith. And then he says, we have peace with God through him, our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And then verse 2, through him, through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, I'm not trying to make a mountain out of a molehill, but these are the two central tenets of the gospel that we must always keep in mind lest we fall into some sort of error. That salvation and the benefits of salvation always, 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 always come through Christ, through him. They come through Jesus. As we have, we said last week, if you know Jesus, then you know peace, right? But if you have no Jesus, you don't have no peace. Because you cannot come to the Father and to be reconciled without Christ. As Christians, we should never be ashamed to think that or to say that out loud. There is no relationship with the Father without Christ. It is it always must be through him. As Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Christ and Christ alone is the mediator between God and man. And as we've said before, he, as we saw in Romans, is the mercy seat, the propitiation, right? Where God and man come together. And I remind you of this, and I'll continue to remind you of this, because there's a tendency in all of us, including me, there's a tendency in all of us to want to embrace some form of pluralism. We are tempted to think that a person who is so loving and genuine is such a great person that somehow, some way, they must be, by the very nature of their disposition, somehow in good favor with God. We have a tendency to want to see that in people. We are tempted to think that just because a person claims to worship a person named Jesus, that they know Christ. I have people multiple times in my life try to defend someone who's clearly a false teacher or clearly not a believer, but they say, oh, but they believe in Jesus. What Jesus is that? We are tempted to want to see all the best in a person's profession of faith. I want that too. But we still must remember that they must know Jesus. And we're also tempted to think of all the millions of people who live and who have ever lived, who are devoted to their religion and somehow on the basis of their sincerity, they must somehow, some way, magically have earned favor with God. We don't want to think of those people who are so nice and loving, who obviously do not know Christ, that they are destined for an eternity apart from God. But put that out of your mind, brothers and sisters. There is no relationship with God without the Son. There is no salvation apart from Christ. It always comes through Him. And it is always by faith. That's why these themes are repeated over and over again. And this also bears a continual reminder because as humans, we are tempted to fall in some sense of legalism or entitlement. You are not saved and granted the blessings of salvation on the basis of anything that you do for God at all. Nothing. Brother Wilson, for all that he does to sacrifice for those kids in Kenya, none of that will avail him before the throne of God. It is only by his faith in Christ is he saved. 
You're not, a just, you're not justified by your religious efforts and devotions. You're not made right with God by trying really hard to be a good person. That seems to be the way the world thinks that salvation comes to people. I just need to work hard and become a better person. I just need to try really hard to be a good person. You're not granted entrance into the kingdom of God by keeping some set of rules either. There is an instinctive part of us that seems to think, all right, now God's saved me, so I better get busy obeying all the rules. Our entire relationship with God, beginning, middle, and end, is always through Christ by faith. Period. End of story. Right? And understand, faith is, is not what we do for God. Faith is us receiving what God is freely giving us by his grace. And this theme is repeated time and time again throughout the letter of Romans. And that is why we continually affirm the solas of the Reformation. You were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And though those doctrines are not actually spelled out exactly like that in the text, the doctrine of salvation is all over the book of Romans. It's always by grace through faith in Christ. And so Paul says, through him, Christ by faith, we have also obtained access into the grace in which we stand. Now, the word also seems insignificant, but it's actually really important as we think about these things because it helps us to understand that the present privilege that we have as Christians that we've been granted also as believers, this privilege is connected with what God has done for us in the past. You can't separate you can't separate the forgiveness from the past from the grace in which we stand now. In other words, we have peace with God by faith through Christ. You also have who have faith through Christ. We have obtained access into the grace in which we stand. The access we have in this grace comes from the peace that we have with God. By what? Grace. Well, to understand this grace, we need to, under, we need to look closely at the Greek noun that we translate as access. Because the word that, that, that's used here means a whole lot more than simply just having access to something or someone. When we think of access, we think it's available, right? You have access to your credit card. That means it's available to you, right? You have access to it. You have access to a person, which means you have the availability to go and see them. You have access to your health insurance, which means you go to the hospital, those health insurance mysteriously somehow get attributed to you. But the idea of access here actually means a lot more. It actually means to come toward or to draw near or to approach with, with an intimate face-to-face -face interaction. And so the idea isn't that we simply have access to some obscure idea of grace. The weight of the text that we have here in the context helps us to see what Paul is talking about is that those who have peace with God also have direct access to the very presence of God. In other words, through Christ, we have been given access into God's presence. And I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Not only has the hostility between God and man come to an end, not only has God and man been reconciled in relationship, but through Christ and by faith, mankind now has direct face-to-face -face access with God. Spiritually speaking, the cherubim is gone. Mankind has been invited back into the garden, which, by the way, is the foreshadowing of the... the uh, the consummation that we look forward to. Mankind through Christ and by faith is welcomed back into the very presence of God. That is what is symbolized by the tearing of the veil in the temple when Jesus died. The barrier between God and man that prevented closeness and intimacy is gone forever. This, by the way, is why Jesus would say, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you Worship the Father, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You see, before the death of Christ, mankind had to come to the temple to be near God. By the way, this is a lingering superstition, by the way. 
that people think that in order to be near God, they have to come to some building or they have to come to church or a temple or something. It's a lingering superstition. But before Christ's death, mankind had to come to to the temple to be near God. And even then, he couldn't come directly into the presence of God. The architecture of the building was a visual representation that there was a division. But because of Christ's finished work on the cross, the barrier was removed and he, that the barrier was removed and we have been given direct access to the Father. Christian, I don't think that we fully remember that. When you come to faith in Christ, there is nothing anymore in between you and the, and, and the presence of God. When you come to faith in Christ, There is nothing between you and the gracious, glorious, beneficial presence of God. What a glorious benefit of the gospel. This is what Paul speaks of in Hebrews chapter 4. He says, since we have have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with a weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, and here's the important part. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us draw near to the very presence of God that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. That's what Paul is saying. Through Christ and by faith, not only do we have peace with God, we have unfettered access to the Father. This is the idea behind the word access here. The verb that is connected to that helps us to understand this. We have unfettered access to God. There are times in your life that you feel like God is far away. But what you have to understand is if you're in Christ, you have, nothing's changed. You are still in the very presence of God. That there's not a place that you can go in this world that you're not in his presence. There's not any circumstance in this world that you can experience where you are suddenly then outside of God's reach and presence. That's the thing that Paul's being, that is communicating here. And the verb that connects that is also really important, right? Paul says we have obtained, we have obtained access. The verb that's rendered here as, a, as have obtained is, I know that you love Greek um, grammar, but um, it's actually in what's called the perfect tense, which means it's, a, it's, it's, it's past tense, but it, con- it conveys this idea of continuing action. And what that tells us is that in the past, by faith through Christ, we have obtained access to God and we continue now, even this moment, have access to God. This is the verb, and this verb is indicative, which means it's indicating a fact. And what that simply means is not only is our access to God a historical fact, it's an ongoing reality. We have ongoing access into the very presence of God. In other words, when you came to faith in Christ, you were not momentarily presented into the presence of God and then he smiled upon you, right? And then you were saved and then you left God's presence and then you go live the rest of your life, right? It's not like you come here on Sunday and I'm in the presence of God and you go out there and then you're not. You're out in the world to do it by yourself. As a Christian, there are moments, I believe, that as a Christian, that you will feel God's presence when you're close to him, when your thoughts are aligned with him. You have those times when you feel God's presence. And then you have those times when, when you don't feel God's presence. Right? But in both of those circumstances, you are still always fully, completely in the presence of God. You have ongoing access to God's presence. Remember, even if you don't feel like it, you have that access to his presence. You're at peace with God. Remember, we talked about this last week. 
we're always at peace with God when we have faith in Christ. When we put our faith in Christ, that peace with God is a, an objective reality, even if there are times when your life seems chaotic and you don't feel like it. And what we said was the reason for that is because your relationship with God is not contingent upon your feelings. Your relationship with God is not contingent upon the emotions and your circumstances, but on what God said to you in his word. And he said that if you were justified by faith, you have peace with God. And Paul is saying here, if you're justified by faith, you have continual ongoing access to God the Father. You have a permanent audience with the king. I don't think we think about that often enough. I don't think that we live in that effectively enough. You, Christian, where you are right now in, in your life, where you, where you live, what your, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you're going through, you, as an individual, have continual audience with the king. I mean, right now, you don't even have, the audi- have an audience with, with, your, with your congressman, right? You can't call him up on the phone and immediately have a conversation with him. Right? You cannot call the president of the United States up if you wanted to. You cannot immediately call the president of the United States and say, hey, I'd like to have a talk. You, can't, you don't have that kind of audience. In fact, you don't have that kind of audience with a lot of people. But you as a Christian, by faith in Christ, have audience with the king right now. This is the divine privilege that we as Christians just take for granted that we forget to live in. We want to look to the heavens and go, oh, my Lord, what a, look at all my problems, right? And we want to look for signs from God and all the time failing to remember that we have direct, continual access to the king himself. You can come boldly to the throne of grace because there's nothing in the way even if it doesn't feel like it, even if if it feels that God God is far from you, you still live in his presence. As the old saying goes, no matter where you go, there God is. That's the incredible privilege of our faith. We, We have access to him. This is why I think that prayer is such an underutilized blessing of God. Prayer is a tool that God has given us that he has said, you say the words, Heavenly Father, and you have this attentive ear. He hears every word that you have to say. And I say this because I have to remind myself of the same thing, right? What a divine privilege that he has granted us, that we turn our eyes towards heaven and we call on his name and the sovereign king of the universe is listening fully attentive to you and your life and what your concerns are. I know that there are times in your life it doesn't feel that way. But I'm telling you, that's the truth. We have a God in heaven that cares enough to have done what is necessary to remove all the barriers between you and him so that you can then say, Heavenly Father, and have a conversation with him. What a blessing and privilege that God has given mankind. We always have the ability to come right before God and make our requests known to him and to be confident to know that he hears. But what, what about this grace that Paul keeps referring to here? Paul says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What does this grace mean? Well, in, by the context, what we understand is Paul is talking about something more than simply saving grace. There's a deeper thought being conveyed here. The uh, author John Stott says this. He says, grace is normally God's free and unmerited favor, his undeserved, unsolicited, and unconditional love. But here, it is not so much his quality of graciousness as it is the sphere of God's grace, our privileged position of acceptance by him. In other words, grace is the sphere of God's blessing to us as a believer. This grace that Paul is referring to is the full breadth and width and the depth of all the blessings that 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 we have by faith in Christ. Well, what Paul has in mind is all of the blessings, the ones that are hard to count like justification, the 
the blessing, the grace of justification, where we're declared righteous, not by what we do, but by faith in Christ. And then there's sanctification where God comes to indwell us. Think about that. We didn't have to go to God. He came to be with us. He indwells us. He is within us. And then he is changing us and shaping us from the inside out to be more and more conformed in the image of Christ. And then there's adoption, which is just mind-blowing to me, where we're not just simply brought into relationship with God as, 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 as combatants that have a truce. We have been restored as family by adoption, that we become part of his children. And then there's the glorification that we have hope in as God one day will finish his work. And then there is this intimate, perpetual presence. This is the grace that he's talking about. Paul says, by faith, through Christ, not only do we have peace with God, we have access to the full sphere of God's blessings, all the blessings that God has to offer us. In Christ, we have access to everything. Paul's going to say later on in his letter, Romans chapter 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Meaning all the gracious things that we need. By faith in Christ, we have unfettered access to God and access to the blessings, all of the blessings of his grace. I want you to let that sink into to your hearts and minds today as well. Because again, as Christians, we at times, especially where we are now with the world changing around us and as things become difficult and as our country becomes more divided politically speaking and as we see that the economy is turning and as we see that there's war looming in in Europe, it's easy for us to, to feel like there's a whole lot of blessings we're missing out on. But God has given us all the full breadth of his blessings. Everything that God has to offer us, we have access to by faith. Let's again look at the text and it reads, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What does Paul mean here by the phrase in which we stand? Well, the thing that we need to realize is that the verb here is also in the perfect indicative active, which means it's, it is us standing in this grace, it's a fact, but it's a historical fact that has, again, ongoing action, which means when we put our faith in Christ, we took our stand in this grace, but we continue to stand in this grace. Again, John's thoughts helpful here. He says, we have taken our stand firmly in or on this grace into which we have been introduced. In other words, by faith in Christ, Not only do we have peace with God, we have access in the presence of God and the full sphere of his saving grace. And it is on this truth that we stand firm. We don't stand firm simply because we feel strong. We don't stand firm in our faith in God because we feel powerful. We take our stand because our foundation on which we stand is strong. Because it is the very immutable promise of God is on which we stand. We stand firm in this grace because God saved us by his own power and he is faithful to complete what he started in us. Our foundation on which we take our stand is the promise of God and his faithfulness to keep his promise. You see, what Paul's trying to communicate to us and what this means for us is by faith through Christ, we can remain in this life immovable, unshakable, and unflappable in our relationship with God. We can stand firm even when the world comes after us. That we can stand firm in a relationship with Christ even when all of your life falls apart. Even when your loved one gets the diagnosis that they have cancer. Even when the stock market loses a thousand points. Even when protesters threaten to disrupt your life. Even when the worst possible thing in your life could happen to you, you can still stand firm. Through Christ and by faith, we have taken our stand and will continue to stand in this grace that God has given given you. 
and all the divine privileges that he's granted you, not because of your individual strength, but because of his strength. By grace, God strengthens you to continue to live and to walk and stand in faith. This is where we need to remember the immutable truth that salvation is 100% the work of the Lord. Even your strength to stand in faith is the power that God works in you. This is why we affirm the security of the believer. This is why we declare with Paul in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, not only does God have the power to save you, he has the power to keep you saved because it was never been. It has never been about how you feel or what you can do for God. It's always been about what God has done for you and the promise that he has made you. It is because of that we can stand in this grace in his life-preserving presence. And that is our present privilege. But then Paul continues and says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This rejoicing in hope is because we have a future inheritance. That's what Paul is referring to here. In this text, we already have talked about creation and fall and redemption. Now, Paul reminds us of the hope of our consummation when God will finally be glorified, when God will finally finish his redemptive work, when, when, God, when it's finally done. Again, John Stott explains, the object of our hope is the glory of God, namely the radiant splendor, which will in the end be fully displayed. Let me just remind you of the words of Revelation 21, what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. This is when the full restoration of creation and mankind has taken place. And then it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is our hope, right? The death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne saying, behold, I am making all things new. But then think about Revelation 22. It follows that. It says, and then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with the 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree, or for the healing of the nations. You talk about something we, we look forward to. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face. If there is anything that we long for, is to see the face of Christ. And His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need, need no lamp or son, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is the glory of God that we look forward to. This is the hope that Paul is talking about here. This is what we rejoice in presently, knowing that it is a reality that is to come, where the veil of this life is finally lifted and we stand literally in the presence of God in his revealed glory. This is the blessed hope that we wait for. This is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, the consummation of what God is doing in history, where God and man are permanently and eternally reunited in that right relationship, the one that we were created for. That that is our hope. 
And so what Paul is doing here is he unpacks these benefits of the gospel. He's helping us to see that these aren't just benefits that we might avail ourselves of. Again, kind of like your health insurance. Have you ever seen those like big long books where they tell you what you're going to get and what you're not going to get? And you think that you're getting everything paid for and then suddenly you get that statement of benefits and you find out, oh, they're not paying for that or paying for that, you know? It's not like anything like that. Paul is saying, is all those benefits belong to us right here, right now. When you are justified by faith, you have peace with God. And because you have peace with God, you have access to God. And you have, present tense, access to all of the, the benefits and blessings that God has to offer you. And now, because of that, in light of that, then we, in this present time, even in the darkness, can rejoice. Why? Because of the hope that's been laid out before us, that is the unshakable inheritance that lays at our feet, that has been promised to us. And again, in the darkness, it might not feel like it'll ever come true. But I'll remind you, as we've been reminding you, your relationship with God is not on the basis of how you feel or what you see in the world around you. Your relationship with God is firmly fixed on his promises and his ability to keep those promises. Our part is simply to remember it is through Christ by faith and we hold on to that. That is the hope that that Paul is laying out for us. And that is the hope that sets up everything else. Because when you look at the next verse, Paul's going to remind us that it's going to get hard, right? In fact, if just looking back at the next verse, let me just give you a preview. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. This is why, by the way, we can rejoice in our suffering. It's because all of the promises of God find their amen in Christ. And the thing that you can walk out of here confident knowing is if you have faith in Christ, you have everything because you have peace with God, access to, to the Father, and all the blessings that God has to offer are yours. Let that be the thing that carries us through then. Let that be the anchor that helps us in our conversations with people that are difficult. Let that be the motivation for us to go out into the world and share the hope of Christ with our neighbors and our friends. Let me pray for you. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.